you need shelter. And we found out that God is our shelter. And last week we looked at fire and the need for fire in a survival situation, not only for comfort but for warmth. Today we are going to look at the fourth survival need uh, that you will need in a survival situation, and that is food. Now food is way down on the list because uh, any survival expert will tell you you can go, you can go, um, well, three to four weeks without food. And uh, when I was in the army, we used to eat these. They're called MREs, meals ready to eat. Well, sometimes if you're just going out for a day hike, you may not take an MRE with you. And so you get into a situation where you have to survive. Um, again, I would say that uh, you, uh, food, you can go three to four weeks without food. Um, but today, in today's sermon, I want to talk about the need for food as believers as we grow in our relationship with Christ. And I think it's vitally important that we uh, no longer be on milk, but that we go to the meat of the word. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 15. And let's get ready to learn about food. Wow, what a morning. So many... Uh, four, 14, thank you. So many things went wrong this morning. We couldn't get the PowerPoint going, and we finally got that going, and I found out the batteries were dead in the, in the, uh, the microphone that I use. So let's look at Hebrews. We've looked at this book before, but it's good to be reminded of it. The author is unknown. Some people say Paul wrote it. Some say Barnabas uh, if Paul wrote it, he could have used an amanuist to translate. But the problem is, why would the Apostle Paul, who was a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, translate uh, into Hebrew when he knew it better than anyone? Some make the statement that Barnabas was possibly the author of it. But ultimately, I don't think we really know who the author was. Uh, but it was, it was canonized, so we know it's scripture. Uh, the date sometime before 70 A.D., there's all kinds of date ranges, uh, but I would probably put it closer to 61, 62 if I had to put one, uh, but it was before 70 A.D. The audience, no doubt, was a Jewish letter. It had a Jewish flavor to it uh, because of a lot of the things that are mentioned in the letter to the Hebrews. The big issue, the big issue that the writer of Hebrews was dealing with was this issue between laws versus Christ. As you read the letter of Hebrews, you will find that Christ is better than the angels, Christ is better than Moses, Christ is better than Melchizedek, even though he comes after him. The issue here is that Christ replaces the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. The problem being that when these Jews uh, were reading uh, this letter, they had to realize that they were not growing as the Apostle Paul would say that they should be growing, and obviously as the author of the letter said that they should be growing. They were still stuck 
in the sacrificial system. They were stuck in the Levitical system. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to pry them out of that. In fact, uh, in uh, chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, the, the writer of this letter begins to make the transition. Okay, you guys are not growing. Let me tell you how to grow. You have to go beyond the basics, the ABCs of the Christian faith. And so what he says today is don't be immature, and he raises the issue right up front. He says, about this we have much to say, meaning what has gone before it, particularly that Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek priesthood. And again, he goes in great lengths in 7.1 through 10.18 to describe this. But what he is setting them up for now is the fact that they must grow in their Christian walk. He says, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Explain is lego. It's the Hebrew word lego, and it means something that is hard to interpret. Although it shouldn't be. This shouldn't be really hard to interpret, but they are having difficulty interpreting it. The issue here is Scripture. And the writer is telling them this is particularly not difficult, but though for you it is difficult because you have not grown in your Christian walk. These things should be, you know, as a, as a pastor, um, you guys and gals know that I preach grace. I have talked a lot to people who, and I, I believe that they're saved, but I, I believe that they don't fully understand uh, the length of their salvation. Um, I've talked to people that say, well, uh, I know that you preach once saved, always saved. And I do, and I, I preach that without apology. Um, when I say once saved, always saved, I mean you have to have it. You have to have it. It's not something that's a head knowledge. It's, it's a heart knowledge. And here the issue for the writer as with many people that I have talked to, is they have not gone on to grow up. They are still infants. They are still trying to uh, figure out the ABCs. And it's so sad, as a, and I've seen this over 29 years of pastoral ministry, it is so sad when people do not understand the basics of the Christian faith. You can only be saved as many times as Christ died. He died once, and the writer of uh, Paul in the, in the book of Galatians says that if, if you are, in, in Hebrews, excuse me, um, if you were to lose your salvation, you would have to put Christ back up on the cross to be crucified all over again and expose him to an open shame. You can only be saved as many times as Christ died. Brothers and sisters, that is the basics of salvation, the basics of grace. And yet some people don't get it. Now, the writer goes on to mention here, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Nothros. And that means to not be able to understand something, but more importantly, he says, is the word lazy. Dull can also mean lazy. In other words, we have the Bible... And yet, if we do not read the Bible, it means that we are dull. And it also means, in some, in some essence, 
that we are lazy, that we do not take time. You know, and I'm telling you, how many hours of TV a day do we watch? How much time do we spend on our cell phones? How much time do we do this? And yet we don't have time to spend in God's word. You cannot expect to grow if you do not get in the word of God. Let me encourage you as your pastor this morning to, to set aside time each, each day to get in the word, to read it, just simply to read it. And yet these people who should know this stuff are struggling with it. Why? Because they do not study the word for themselves. Warren Wearsby once said, Sunday school class is dull, the preaching is dull, anything spiritual is dull. The problem is usually not with the Sunday school teacher or the pastor, but with the believer himself. I think that if you study the Word of God and you have a heart for the Word of God, no matter what the Sunday school teacher says, you can take something out of it. If you think the pastor is boring, if you think I'm boring, then pray for me. Just pray for me if, if you think it's boring. But then I would also say pray for yourself because the issue could not be, might not be on this side. It might be on that side. And so any, any sermon, if a person is growing in the word of God, can take something out of a sermon. And Warren Wiersbe's correct. The issue is usually not the Sunday school teacher or the pastor. It's within the believer himself. If you have no desire for spiritual things and you have no desire to uh, think about spiritual things or to live for Christ, then there's a problem. Then there is a definite problem. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews is trying to draw out. Now, this leads to an implication. The issue is that they're lazy. Uh, the issue is that they're not studying the word. So there has to be an implication to this. And he gives us the implication. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, didaskalias, that means instructors or one who instructs or teaches others. So they were at a point, they had been Christians long enough. I want you to understand the point here. They had been Christians long enough that they should have already moved into the realm of being able to teach others and to train others in the Word of God. How long does that take? Well, um, you should have seen me when I first started out uh, in Sunday school. I would ask the really craziest questions. And I had a really good Sunday school teacher that tolerated me a lot. But as I began to grow in my walk and begin to understand, and the, the, the Korean bunk conversion, if you will, of when I finally understood grace, uh, I had begun to grow in my understanding of the Word of God and how it applied to my life, and that was probably a period of four years. So if I use my own self as a test case, then at least four to five years, if you are walking with Christ, you should be to a point where you can at least begin to teach or to instruct others. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody should be a teacher, because the Bible tells us that we shouldn't not everyone should be teachers, but you should be able to provide some type 
of advanced instruction or at least be able to live it out. Thomas Lee, you've been Christians long enough to be teachers, but you still need to be taught the ABCs. They should have been able to pass their basic understanding of the Christian message to others. Instead, they needed a good review of the elementary matters themselves. We should be able to move beyond the basics. What are the basics? Well, the basics would be that God created the world. Mankind sinned. As a result of that, he fell. So mankind was in sin. God had to send Jesus, who became the second Adam. And Jesus had to fulfill everything that God wrote in the Old Testament, all the laws. He did that. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross, died on the cross, paid for our sins, was buried, physically dead for three days. Then he rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples over a 40-day period and to the world. And there were over 520 witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. And then he ascended to the Father. Those are basics. We should be, if you've been a Christian at least four years, you should know this stuff. And we, we, we should have a good uh, handle on, on this. Uh, recently, uh, I was reading Christianity Today, an epidemic of biblical illiteracy in our churches. And this is what they discovered. 45% read the Bible more than once a week. That's good. It doesn't say how often they read it. Is this every day? But they read it at least twice a week. The rest of this stuff is staggering. 40% read the Bible once a month. 40%. 40% of Christendom reads the Bible once a month. Now, there's certain statistics that you kind of throw out. Maybe the guy that's in his basement just making up statistics. But this is Christianity Today. This is a, a, a noted uh, uh, people who study this stuff. And so when they say 40% of, uh, of the people read the Bible once a month, it's pretty close. Now, I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, that's scary. Because... Reading the, it's good if you read the Bible once a month. I don't want to discourage you from doing that, but I would encourage you to read it more than once a month. To take one every day, take just 10 minutes to sit down and read it or pop a CD in your car as you go to work. Listen to the Word of God because the Word of God gets in. And then they found another study. One in five churchgoers never read the Bible. So if we look around this audience this morning, there may, I don't think this applies to our church, but uh, if you go into a, a, a church of, of 200, you, you can roll this out. That's quite a bit of people. One in five that attends church does not read the Bible. And it's possible that the only time they read the Bible is when the pastor says, join me in a particular text. And hopefully, you know, if they're one in five I would venture to say there are probably not too many churchgoers in that category um, <laughs> that would be consistent. The word basic, arche, means simple truth. 
when coupled with stoikeidon principles, it means elementary truths. I'm hoping that everybody in this church could at least be able to explain what we've already talked about. That God created the world, mankind sinned, he sent Christ who fulfilled every aspect of the law. He was sinless, he went to the cross, he paid for our sins, he became the propitiation for our sin, he died, he was physically buried, and then on the third day God raised him and he reigns at the right hand of the Father. I'm hoping that everybody could be able to explain that. But that cannot be a given. So he says, don't be immature, but let's grow to maturity. Let's grow to maturity. Now notice he says, and these are two metaphors, you need milk, not solid food. Now let me talk about this for just, for just a second. Um, Milk. Milk's necessary. Well, what is milk for the believer? Because when I got saved, I was probably uh, 21, 22 years old. Um, At that point, I was a baby in Christ. I needed milk. Milk being being, um, Jesus died for my, he paid for my sins and died on the cross. And started laying the foundations. You need milk. You can't get saved and just go right to solid food. So milk is in and of itself not a bad thing. Uh, babies need it, and they, and they begin to grow. They need that milk. It nourishes them, and you need to grow. You need to start with the basics so that you can handle what comes next, which is solid food. Now, I don't know too many 22-year-olds or 23-year-olds that are like this physically. Most of the ones that I know are down here. And if you've got a young teenage boy, your refrigerator reflects that, right? Um, You get down to the meat. But the problem here is, he says, you need milk, not solid food. Spiritually, the author is saying, this is where you are. This is where you are in your spiritual walk. You're not here. So we're having to continue in this route, stuff that you should know. You should already be growing in your faith, walking in your faith, learning about Christ, going deeper. You need to be here, he says. You need milk, not solid food. And now he explains the milk metaphor. For everyone who lives on milk, and he's, he's expecting that his audience would understand that this is an infant. Uh, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. The word unskilled, aparos, means lack of knowledge. One of my favorite verses from the Old Testament is Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My child, listen to me and treasure my instructions. Tune your ears towards wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and understanding. Search for them as you would for lost money or hidden treasure. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain the knowledge of God. You see what's paramount here? Is this. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate 
on understanding. James tells us if any man lacks wisdom, he can go to God, right? So if you come to the word of God and you're just starting out in your spiritual walk um, and you come to the word of God and you go, I don't understand this. I'm I'm not sure. There's a lot of resources online that you can go to, commentaries. But I'm going to tell you the best place that you should start is by asking God to give you the wisdom to be able to understand it. And some, you know, what I would would also recommend is that you get a simple Bible, an, an English Bible that breaks it down into easy understand, and you read it next to a to a. Uh, paraphrase translation so that you begin to understand but ultimately your wisdom comes from God so go directly to the source when you don't understand something ask God to give you the wisdom I am foolish enough to believe that God will give you wisdom if you ask for it and you will begin to make uh, make judgments and, and understandings about the scripture you do not want to be in an unskilled state And then he uses the word righteousness, which means the act of doing what God requires. What's happening here now is we're making a a transition. You should be, this is where you should be, but you're not. And this is why you're not. You're unskilled in, in righteousness. Watch, watch this. You are unskilled in the word of righteousness. What he's saying here is, in the sense, you have to move from the ABCs to being skilled in what God requires. So what God requires is as you live your Christian life, if you only have the basics, you will not be able to do what God requires. If you do not crack your Bible and read where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, you will not be able to employ that into your Christian walk. Therefore, you would not be able to do what God requires of you. If you want something simple, Micah 6.8, he has shown you, old man, designation for the nation of Israel, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, If you started here, if you started just with Micah 6, 8, to act justly, that means in in your life when you wake up and and you go to work and uh, you're in a situation where you know you should act justly in this, you shouldn't try to, to, to do things your way, but act justly, that would change the way that you live your life. Also, it would be that you are doing what God requires of you, to walk humbly, Remember, brothers and sisters, God does not like pride, right? He destroys the pride, the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. He exalts the humble. So don't live your life proud, being proud. Look how good I am. I'm better than everybody. That's not how to live your life. Because we've received the grace of God, and we know that we really didn't deserve it, it should force us to be humble. So be humble. And to love mercy. To love mercy. I've heard people say, well, I'm never going to forget what you said to me. Well, do you forgive me? Yes. 
but I'm never going to forget it. That's not, that's not true forgiveness. You cannot hold this. Was God not merciful to you and me? Was he? He gave us. He said, you know what, Mike, I know that you're a sinner, but I sent Christ to die for you on the cross to pay for those sins. So now I'm going to save you. You didn't deserve it. You don't earn it. I'm giving it to you. But in return, what I want you to do is I want you to be merciful to others. To show a little grace. See, this is, I can, you know, I don't know. I, when I hear people talk, it, when my highways and byways, when I, when I travel, and I hear people talk and what they say, I can almost predict where they are spiritually based on what they say. Becomes problematic, and, and I just go, well, can't you forgive the person? Isn't there any room for, for forgiveness? You may, not, you may not ever get along with the person, but at least you can forgive the person and you can just kind of, like Paul and Barnabas, just kind of go your separate ways. But don't harbor this anger and bitterness towards people. Love mercy. Just love it. Because you've been shown mercy. Growing to maturity ultimately means you need solid food. You have milk over here and then he wants us to get to solid food now notice what he says but solid food I love that word but there it's a huge contrast between those who are milk and unskilled but solid food is for the mature teleos pertaining this is what it literally means pertaining to an adult group pertaining to an adult group Dr. Philip Hecking's right in his, in his commentary, the marks of maturity are not found in an encyclopedia of knowledge of the Bible, nor even in the full grasp of the significance of our shadowy friend Melchizedek waiting in the wings. Listen to this. This, isn't, this is important. Rather, they are seen in the ability to make moral judgments and not be caught up in childish wranglings and jealousies of the world. Have you, the best way, the best way to tell whether somebody is mature or whether they are immature is watch how they react. Immature Christians, they just go off and they hold bitterness and harbor all these. This, this is not the way that we want to live. We need to reach a state of maturity where there's a calm presence. You don't get excited. Uh, you're able to make moral judgments. Okay, when you make a moral judgment, you can say, this is right, this is wrong, I will choose right, right? You know it when you live it in your, in your daily walk. You go, this is morally wrong, I'm, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to take the high road, which is what God told me to do. And that's what we should always be doing in our Christian walk, is taking the moral route to God. What makes people, what makes the mature able to do this? Well, he says it here. For those who have the power of discernment trained. They have their powers of discernment trained. 
I stay Tyrion. I stay Tyrion. That means to understand the true nature of something. Hebrews, this is the big one people struggle with. Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems present, pleasant at the time, but painful. Can I get an amen? Yeah, and we got that. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I, I chose this text, and it comes from Hebrews too, um, because when we go through hardships and trials in our lives, sometimes those trials and hardships are brought on by our own decisions. But when we make those decisions and we suffer the consequences of it, God is then changing us and training us to become more righteous. I've, I've heard people say, well, um, bad things always happen to me. God seems to be messing with me at all in all areas of my life. And I would like to say to them, maybe you are making bad choices with your life. But even with those bad choices, you can learn to make good choices because of the consequences you are suffering. It's, it's ironic that people make bad choices and then think that God messes with them. <laughs> You're under discipline. God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines us. There's been times in my life I didn't like the discipline. I didn't like it any more than you like it. But as I've gotten older in my Christian walk, I start to realize, well, when, I'm, when God disciplines me and it's something that I did, then I won't do it again. You know, maybe I'll try to get out of here. No, no, just let God discipline you so that you'll be more righteous. That's, that's the goal. It's to become more righteous. He goes on to say here, by constant practice. And I'm not going to bore you with the Hebrew there. It just means doing something repeatedly. By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Kalos, kekos. They sound alike, right? One is the word for good, which is morally good, and that which is praiseworthy. That's the good part. That which is morally good and that which brings the praise of God. And then there is kekos, which is morally bad and is harmful. But they do this by constant practice. So it's as you live your Christian life and as you are in the word of God, and as you are living your, your, your Christian life, you go, okay, um, this is bad. I'm not going to do it. And if it come up again, you would not do it again. Because you are constantly training your mind to match up with, with the word of God. Pro golfers. <clears throat> um, they don't just show up at a tournament. Pro golfers spend hours going over their swing. 
in a day, a pro golfer on a driving range may hit up to 500 balls a day. What do they work on? They start, if they're having problems in their game, they start with the basics. Is my setup right? How's my swing? They'll analyze the swing. And when they go to the practice range, they have somebody that works with them, probably another professional, that, that shows them what, what they are doing wrong. But they practice it. 90% of golf is getting your body to swing exactly the same way every time. And when you do that, the ones that are really good at it, they wind up on the pro tour because their, their body is swinging exactly the same way all the time. They're not like all of us, most of us in this room, that go out once or twice a month and uh, can't believe that we can't hit a ball straight. But these, these guys are out here, and it's repetition. Repetition, day in and day out. And brothers and sisters, that is a wonderful image of what it is to be a Christian. We have the instructor right here. The instructor can diagnose us, can diagnose our heart. And then we simply use the world as the practice range where we go out and we live what the instructor has told us to do. First of all, let me just say this. What I would like us all to do is to make a commitment to read the Bible daily. Can you do that? Let's make a commitment. Just start, read one chapter or read ten verses. Just start reading the Word of God. Because as the Word of God comes in, the Holy Spirit begins to work on your heart and begins to change you. After you make a commitment, team up with another person. One thing I think most churches have gotten uh, away from is this idea of mentoring. Matter of fact, if you, if you want me to mentor, probably should be working with some of our younger guys here. Uh, we should be mentoring them, helping them in their spiritual walk. We, I know we have the brotherhood going on tomorrow night. That's, that's, that's a good place for mentoring. Or Tuesday night. Thank you, Vince. Um, we need to get back to mentoring. Get in a Bible study. We have Sunday school every Sunday. And, uh, you know, get in some type of Bible study. We have Wednesday night study. We're doing the Ray Vanderland series right now. You need to make a commitment to that. And it's not because Pastor Mike said you need to make a commitment. It's because we need to become better followers of Christ. If, if we're going to live for him effectively in this world, we've got to grow beyond, or beyond for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We've got to move beyond that. We've got to get down deeper into the word of God so that we can begin seeing the world differently, how God sees it. And that we act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. It's all in here. As a matter of fact, that's one of the greatest verses because it covers so many things. So my challenge to you today and to me is that we will get in the Word of God. 
that we will study the Word of God. And like I said, start small. If you've not in the Word of God, start small. Just read it. The Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and begin to change you. Get in with, with a group or, or grab a mentor. Uh, most, of the, most of the guys that have mentored me, uh, first of all, they knew more than I did. But they helped me in my spiritual walk. And I began to grow. Newt Larson's been instrumental. Charlie Clifton, I talked to him yesterday, he's been instrumental in my spiritual development. But you need a mentor. And the writer of Hebrews says, I'm, I'm going to be your mentor, I'm going to help you through this, but you've got to leave the milk, and you've got to get on to the meat and solid food. And it's really for your benefit. It's really for your benefit and for mine that we grow in our relationship. Because someday, I thought about this this morning, People live their lives as if there is no end game. You do realize that, like last week we talked about fire, our works will pass before Christ. And we, somehow we live our lives as if, now nah, I'm just going to go to heaven, everything's going to be fine. That's true in one sense. But in another sense, you're still judged by what you do here in the body. And so the best way to avoid the embarrassment is to do what God tells you to do here, what God requires. Just live for him.